1964 New York World's Fair, celebrating man's achievement on a shrinking globe in an expanding universe. I'm Paul Zoll, and these podcasts will be regular updates from the worlds of literature, popular culture, and the old religion. That's Bob Dylan's phrase in relation to some of life's everyday problems, such as anger, loss, and bewilderment. Most of my podcasts will begin with a text, sometimes from a novel, I Love Possessed, sometimes from a movie, The Bride of Frankenstein, sometimes from a song, Telstar, for example. Sometimes from the Bible. Perfect love casts out fear. Sometimes from a TV show. Tonight's story will be a thriller. Each week, I hope to offer you something different. Something entertaining. Something even, well, blood-transfusing. tell you today uh, one of the um, most astonishing examples I know of, of what uh, is sometimes called the theology of the cross, which is another way of saying the uh, amazing vitality that can be found in utter and complete uh, weakness. We sometimes call it, as I've called it before, the Nazareth principle, and this case is truly amazing, and it's accompanied by some product which is extremely good. The power of this story is that while it's an extreme example of the uh, uh, sustaining the the actual creative vitality found in a in a in a in a most unusual place, and it's also funny. It's a very funny story at one level. It is also a melancholy so- story at another. But the odd result, the residue, the kind of gold that comes out of this pan of mostly mud, is really amazing music. I'm going to uh, uh, tell you in a very brief the. Uh, story of Heinz Henry Georg Schwarzke. Uh, and uh, this uh, story uh, is really the story of Heinz Burt. Now, Heinz Burt, known as Heinz, now this is the third name, you know, with a lot of people, the remaking impulse is huge. Well, here you have it. Um, Heinz Burt, I gave you the full German name, uh, was a, uh, a performer of pop music who was born in 1942 in Detmold, Germany during the uh, Second World War. And uh, he was brought up actually in England and he uh, became Heinz Burt, though we know him as Heinz. But do you know him? Do you know about Heinz, the most extraordinary? He was called the Wild Boy of Pop, which is sort of a joke because the whole, I mean, compared to Mick Jagger and compared to all the next generation of pop musicians, to call Heinz the Wild Boy of Pop is really uh, is really funny. But there it is. He was known in his time as the Wild Boy of Pop. Now, what happened to Heinz Burt is that he uh, happened to be in a situation where he met Joe Meek. And Joe Meek, the, um, the interstellar 
weird, eccentric genius of independent rock and roll producing in the late 50s and early 60s fell in love with him. I think that's, that's – Heinz did not want to put it that way in interviews. He was interviewed often later in life, but uh, I think it's very clear that, that Joe Meek developed a kind of obsession, an obsessive love for Heinz Burt, who didn't really return it, so far as we know, in the way that Joe had wished he might have. He got Heinz uh, to uh, – make his hair peroxide blonde so he would look like one of the weird child demons in the 1960 movie Village of the Damned, of which it goes without saying Joe Meek was an immediate admirer. And then he began to uh, focus on uh, Heinz Burt as a solo performer that Joe Meek believed would become uh, a great star in English and finally international rock and roll. So uh, Meek uh, first put Heinz who could barely play a rhythm guitar and barely play a keyboard and really couldn't play any instrument well. By his own admission, uh, Joe Meek put him in the group called the Tornadoes, so he got a credit when this extremely successful uh, mood music that I love so Telstar came out. And, uh, in fact, the last photograph uh, taken of uh, Heinz Burt, uh, because uh, he died uh, on the 7th of April, 2000. The last photograph taken, I believe, on the 24th of March, 2000. I can't believe this guy knows this stuff. Paul, how do you know this stuff? Well, because it's, I'm interested in it. And, in fact, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's some treasure in a pot at the end of this rainbow, if you'll go with me just a little bit. It's a great story. Heinz Burt was first sort of groomed in this really famous group, the Tornado. Tornadoes, not a really famous group, but they had a temporary success. And then Joe Meek proceeded to try to make Heinz Burt a star. Well, it's no wonder that uh, Meek is often uh, called, was called, is now called the alchemist of pop for taking something very humdrum and ordinary and turning it into uh, gold. Well, he sort of did this with Heinz Burt. He recorded uh, exactly 42 tracks of Heinz Burt Heinz as a solo artist. Only one of them, a single called Just Like Eddie, which was accompanied by Richie Blackmore, the later guitarist for Deep Purple and other things, uh, became a hit. It became a top ten hit in the UK, and it's a very catchy, fun song with a great guitar line that you'll just love. And it actually became later on a, uh, a uh, background for a big commercial in England about shredded wheat called Just Like Shreddies. And uh, uh, the man who wrote it, I think, was named Jeff Goddard. I've talked about him, and he and he got a little money from it, and Heinz may have gotten a tiny bit of royalty money from it. But Joe Meek tried desperately. He was by love possessed. He fits the category. He was possessed of a, of a rampaging, passionate obsession with Heinz and the belief that Heinz, because Heinz was very good-looking, and uh, plus this uh, peroxided blonde hair, he thought, this is my ticket to nowhere, as it turned out, because 42 singles later, of which I believe four were released officially in the United States and maybe 18 in the UK, only just like Eddie became a very moderate hit, and I think only in the UK, and it's a great song. But what happened? 
first to Joe Meek. He was so determined to make something out of Heinz that he, he gave everything to these tracks. And so a number of these songs, about seven or eight of them, are fabulous. They have an extremely pedestrian, almost off-key, and really completely lacking in kind of any raw power and natural phrasing and understanding of the song, let alone the ability to really carry the tune fully and well. Um, most of these songs, uh, uh, Joe Meek overcompensates by putting in everything but the kitchen sink. He, massive reverberation, all sorts of wonderful and often ripping guitar solos by Blackmore, and I think on occasion, two occasions at least, Jimmy Page, the, the great genius who would come out with the Yardbirds not all that much longer, and of course with Led Zeppelin for us and beyond. Uh, and uh, he would put choirs and uh, Joe Meek would put unusual uh, bass lines and very strange combination of instruments such that he produced some of his best music for Heinz. I mean, this is the thing. This uh, Heinz became the, the attracted to himself because of Joe Meek's absolute determination to make him a star, which was denied them. Joe Meek put in effects, sounds, ideas, interests, musical combinations, combinations of genres and thoughts and instruments and uh, mainly effects and compression that make some of these songs absolutely sensational hooks. You can't, li you, you can't help but listen to them. They draw your ear out. They draw your mind and your heart. And some of them are very moving, although they're all crippled right from the very beginning by the poor and desultory performances of Heinz Burt. He, he sort of became a joke in England because everybody knew that, that Meek had a kind of strange, unwieldy, unusual, but genuine gift and yet where Joe Meek recorded, there was Heinz. And so all you, you ought to hear John Layton on the subject, uh, the other performers who were sort of big at the time. It may not, yeah, I think it was John Layton. Uh, performers who felt they were constantly, who were really good, who kept feeling they were being upstaged by somebody who, quote, wasn't really good. And uh, I don't think it's fair to say he wasn't really good. I think it's just fair to say that he was, um, he was the object of an obsession that attracted to his uh, voice, which is really pedestrian. And, and at what times worse, a quality of recording that is astronomical and almost sublime. Now, you may say, good heavens, can that be so? Well, it is. Let me give you just some examples. And you can fish for these. They're all on a recording, uh, the complete heights, on a recording by... Um, um, Repertoire Records, 1999, Repertoire Records and Tapes, REP4718WR. And this double and beautifully recorded uh, German release, actually, is really worthy. It's a wonderful record, especially the first CD. And uh, we're going to also, we're going to say a little bit about uh, here, this is not just uh, some about some total obscurity, a very offbeat kind of thing. We're going to really talk about the sadness of unrequited love, because ultimately, that's what the story of Heinz is. And I'm going to talk about melancholy. If you'll just give me a few more minutes, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about melancholy and how it comes through and the, the driving, tragic poignancy of Joe Meek's unrequited love for Heinz Burt comes through in the music. And then finally, I'm going to talk about how Heinz Burt ended up. This is your little Beyond the Music VH1 episode, and it's really, it'll tear your heart out, and it'll say something about the nature of love, gift, talent, and finally, the Nazareth Principle. 
Let me list you a couple of Heinz's great songs. All 42 were produced by Joe Meek. The first one I mentioned is Just Like Eddie. Country Boy uh, has this huge sort of underneath, in Baroque music, it's the basso continuo, or it's the continuo side. It's the rhythm track. The rhythm track has a kind of open-endedness. It's like you when you listen to Joe Meek's rhythm tracks, which are very booming and very deep, uh, you sort of like fall into them. They're like a big um, crevasse that is opened up in a glacier or something, and you fall into them. You have a classic bass line that you're a bass track, this deep thing you're going to fall into in the song You Were There. You're going to have a very touching little song. Jeff Gardard wrote some of these. Joe Meek wrote a lot of the lyrics. Heinz uh, said that he wrote One We'll Have at the End, and I guess he did. Uh, but the lyrics are all sort of Everly Brothers minus. They're, they're Jimmy, uh, Rick, Ricky Nelson minus. They're, they're sort of Leslie Gore. Leslie Gore sounds like, sounds like uh, Renata Tabaldi, her, her lyrics, compared to, uh, um, to, to, to Heinz Burt. They're sort of puppy love lyrics. Please, little girl, thank you for loving me this way. But as you as you begin to listen, you begin to see that the artist behind them, uh, Robert George Meek, is putting things in almost by compensation. He can't bear what is coming out of the microphone on the tape. And so he has to cover it with every possible uh, trick in his bag. And he comes up with some darn good ones. For example, the song Questions I Can't Answer. If, if does she love me? Will she forgive me? If I do, these are questions I can't answer. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Questions I Can't Answer. Not only is it a great lyric, oddly enough, this one is a great lyric, but there's there's a kind of Louie Louie with this uh, with this deep yawning crevasse of a bass reverb that is really, when you turn it up, it'll 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 shake your house. And these were all recorded between 1963 and 1965. And then um, uh, Joe uh, pulled back on Heinz because it just wasn't getting anywhere. Although Heinz was there, was his roommate, I believe in a platonic sense, according to Heinz. Uh, and Heinz, uh, it was Heinz's uh, uh, gun that he used to hunt on weekends that Joe Meek used to shoot uh, Mrs. Shenton, Violet Shenton, his landlady, and who was a love, and then himself on February 3rd, 1967. And so Heinz was actually initially questioned uh, as a possible uh, suspect in the murder. He'd obviously not done it. He was nowhere near the place when it happened. But it was his shotgun with his fingerprints on it, as well as Joe's, <clears throat> that was used in this terrible, terrible tragedy uh, on February the 3rd, 67. But uh, in the first sets, questions I can't answer, there's a beating of my heart, a song called Beating of My Heart, again, an a ridiculous or shall we say a truly puppy spaniel love lyric and yet beating of my heart boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. It's one of these Joe Meek songs where the where the uh, uh, needle uh, is uh, pushed off, is bounced off the record by the amazing, uh, booming, and yet very 
ethereal at the same time baseline. What have we heard? Questions I can't answer. Just like Eddie, beating of my heart, digging my potatoes and she ain't coming back. These are all songs with, with Blackmore solos. It's Jimi Hendrix comes to, comes to the Everly Brothers. Uh, Jimi Hendrix comes to, to uh, Paul Anka, but not as good as Paul Anka, although almost as good as Jimi Hendrix. She ain't coming back. Uh, then uh, Heinz wrote a little song called The Big Fat Spider, which which is a little bit of horror rock, very unsavory lyrics from a modern perspective. But it's sort of about how a big fat spider wants to catch his girl, but then he's going to turn into a sweet guy who's going to put aside his web and no longer go out hunting anymore. It's a ominous lyric, and I can't, I cannot imagine the young lady uh, from that period who would listen to that song and not say, ew! I, I can't imagine someone today who wouldn't say it. And yet, Joe Meek thought it was going to be a hit. It was the B-side of, uh, of another song. I think it may have been the B-side of Just Like Eddie in the U.S. It, it, uh, there's a, there's a uh, kind of strange guitar uh, sound, a haunting one that is a great sound effect. And then uh, he has a one called Heart Full of Sorrow that is really sad. Now, uh, there are many others. There are dozens of others. He wrote sort of the definitive Zen song called I Get Up in the Morning and I Comb My Hair. And you want to say, ugh, gross. Are you using Braille cream? I mean, there's there's all sorts of uh, three steps to heaven is very touching. Look for a star. And finally, the... Um, the uh, theme song called Living It Up, Live It Up, which was the theme song to a uh, uh, movie that Joe Meek produced the music of right in this period that's really terrible. But the musical part is pretty good. But uh, there we are. Um, I have it. I, I can lend it to you. You can get it on the on the web. Now, um, Heinz's songs, a combination of what I've said, is this militant genius in terms of effects and cheery escoro and all sorts of fantastic things. You really got to get Heinz. He's all over. You can get Heinz. There are a million different recordings now of Heinz. The best one is the one I mentioned, but uh, it's called uh, The Complete Heinz, as if. But anyway, if you're someone with a... With a or even if you're interested, it's not expensive. And get The Complete Heinz, and believe me, you will be rewarded if you turn it up loud and listen and remember that they recorded in 63, 64, and early 65. Now... Uh, the the other thing about his, uh, I want you to think about melancholy. When you uh, begin to listen to this, and it's a theme that comes back again and again in Joe Meek's work. I mean, I could give you, here I could give you 30 singles or attempts to be singles where Joe Meek failed in the singles, but there's a kind of melancholy. His song Happy Valley has got to be one of the most upsetting, especially there's a demo of him singing Happy Valley. You can hear it. You can get it. Him singing Happy Valley. He's not happy. There's nothing remotely happy about this recording. And any number of Heinz songs uh, within them is the oral approach to deep melancholy. There is a melancholy that is the downside of the the treble speeding up. Have I the right? Anything by the Honeycombs, anything by Glenda Collins, anything by all his really, quote, successful or his more successful groups than Heinz. All of this is an overstatement. But in my book and in the book of the thousands who adore Joe. Um, There were many successful songs, but even the speed it up uh, really, uh, I'm coming to take you away type of songs. There is, uh, there's a melon. The flip side of that is melancholy. His song, I I can't, I haven't been, not sleeping well lately. 
not sleeping well too lately, his song there, any number of songs here that you will find. Uh, My Dreams, Look for a Star, Heart Full of Sorrow, I'm Not a Bad Guy, She Ain't Coming Back, Questions I Can't Answer. Dreams do come true. That's, oh, I think that may have been, believe it or not, I think something like that song. It was a Joe Meek production that I don't think had Heinz, but it may have. But I know the song, something like the song Dreams Do Come True, which is, I think, Heinz's first single. I believe that may have been the soundtrack for the credits of a song called, of a movie called Circus of Horrors with Anton Differing, which was in fact quite a successful B-horror film uh, that was following in the Hammer line, but has a certain kind of, uh, there's a certain kind of sadism to it uh, that will remind you of, uh, of, uh, oh, what's that one? Circus of Horrors. It reminds you of um, uh, that one with the, uh, It'll come back to me. Um, The Horrors of the Black Museum. There's a kind of sadism in that movie, and the combination of the song Dreams Do Come True with that uh, early movie that, when you see it now, leaves a... It's on TCM sometimes. It leaves a strange taste in your mouth. You you know you're dealing here. You're beginning to deal in the area of sickness. There's a little bit of that in Joe Meek. Uh, But uh, before you know that, you'll notice with the combination of the bravura special effects, you'll get the, the love that was here. It was a love gone wrong. It was a love gone way wrong, and it ended up in this terrible thing on February the 3rd, 67. But, you know, there are a lot of loves gone wrong. I know people who have brothers and sisters who are mentally ill. Matter of fact, I can think of four or five right now as I speak. Lovely people I know, often people of faith and people of real um, trying to do something with their lives and coming th- coming out with something with worthwhile and serving and hopeful and loving and nice families with whom they're showering all that they have to give, and then I find out that they have a mentally ill sister who lives in absolute wreckage in some apartment or house somewhere that is filled with newspapers stacked up to the ceiling, or they have a mentally ill aunt somewhere who's sort of looked after in some old town that their parents grew up, who has newspapers and junk to the ceiling. I've known clergy who are lost, lost people, and live surrounded with just unbelievable chaos, truly, truly Uh, uh, certifiable chaos. You know, insanity is really not so far from any of us. Never think that, oh, you know, this is a little beyond me. Because in fact, you probably have someone in your family, I hope you don't, but you may have somebody in your family who's verging on mental mental illness. I I guess probably 40% of the people and families I've known have someone in the family who has had a kind of mental illness creep up on them, often in single life. So what happened, uh, this melancholy that resulted in a kind of paranoid uh, affect and eventually a suicidal and also murderous rage that was accompanied by a tremendous idea that people were listening in the walls to him with all his occultism that was a form of paranoia at the end. You've got Joe Meek and maybe you've got your sister somewhere, your brother or your mom or maybe even you at some point. Listen, it's, it's very widely spread. So we've had these bravura effects. We've had melancholy, which is very catchy and very powerful. But I have to finally tell you briefly how it all ended up. Um, Heinz, after, a, after Joe died, uh, Heinz's career ended and there was nothing more going ever at all anywhere. But he was still, people had a lot of, of sort of pity for him and he was also a rather delightful, he was a nice guy. 
He was a nice fellow. He had no money. He'd lost all his money. What little tiny money he got from Joe, he'd spent on a boat. He really just wanted to be on his boat and go shooting pigeons out on the fields of Kent, England. And uh, he, he really didn't want to do any of this, but he was a delightful, nice fellow. And he got invited to a lot of parties with the Beatles and Bob Dylan. And the wild boy of pop was sort of a figure in the kind of in crowd of hangers on in British pop until probably about oh 1967 or so and then uh, and then he went into a long period of basically hopeless poverty he contracted towards the end of his life a motor neuron disease and he was confined to a wheelchair and um, one of the most affecting and uh, really uh, uncomfortable uh, video segments you'll ever see is uh, something that um, Heinz was recorded, uh, Heinz's last recording, sort of in his honor, um, oh, on the 24th of March 2000, and you can get it on the internet. It's kind of a loving, kind of a concert, uh, you might call it, that Heinz uh, uh, performed uh, from his wheelchair on the 24th of March 2000. And to watch Heinz, who at this point is old and very ill, he the man he's fifty eight years old and when he's recorded and he is very ill and drawn and sick but still trying so very hard and to watch Heinz sing whole lot of shaking going on from his wheelchair uh, in. Uh, Weston, uh, Hampshire. It may have been Eastley, New Hampshire. By the way, in the town of Eastley, New Hampshire, there is a Heinz Burt Close. A street was named after, is named after Heinz Burt in Eastley, New uh, Hampshire, England, called Heinz Burt Close. I am determined to visit Heinz Burt Close before I die. If I have to go there uh, with oxygen masks, I'm going to go uh, to Heinz Burt Close. But wherever it was on the 24th of March, and I think it was actually in Eastley, Kent, he, um, he sang a whole lot of shaking going on and three steps to heaven. And this is really, this is the Nazareth, Nazareth principle, the uh, something, the, 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 the weakness uh, at the furthest edge. This is the Nazareth principle uh, carried about as far as it, you, uh, you can take it. I'm going to read uh, from uh, something uh, Heinz said uh, toward the ends of his life, Heinz Burt, which he described his life. He, he had developed a, a motor neuron symptom, which we know, know as MS, muscular dystrophy, and he was under constant care at his flat in Southampton, uh, but it was actually uh, in Weston, uh, of part of, uh, related to Southampton, and this is what he said to an interviewer, yes, I ended up in a wheelchair. It's one of those things. I'd love to get up and do another gig, but I can't. I manage to get out occasionally. My secretary takes me out, and we go down to the beach. But mostly I putter about at home in my flat. I never play any of my old records. I don't own them, but, but my secretary loves them. She drives me crazy with them, and she's always buying the CDs and playing them. These are the many uh, Joe Meek CDs that are available with Heinz on them. We don't put the TV on. We sit here and play music all the time. I like to play records by people I've worked with and have sentimental value to me. I play the songs and then think back to all the tours and what happened. When I think of the good times, it's lovely. Now, um, the uh, blonde bombshell, as he was also known, one of the wildest men of pop, ended up in this particular situation, and it's a very touching story. 
But I'm not going to leave it there. I've asked you if you know anyone uh, uh, really like Joe Meek who had uh, descended into the uh, the uh, the place of uh, of real bleak bleak uh, uh, c- compulsion uh, from mental illness. And this is uh, and Heinz was right involved with that at the end. I've uh, talked about the melancholy that pervades. If you're in a melancholy mood uh, and you sort of want it to be catalyzed and brought out and give you a little bit of a catharsis, uh, some of these songs, which seem upbeat, but they are utterly not upbeat. Some of them are, but a number of them I've mentioned, especially dreams will come true. There's a kind of hollow hopeful despair that is really very, very affecting. I cry. I'm moved by Heinz. I'm moved by his situation, and I'm also moved by the melancholy. But more than that, to end this on an up note, because I did this... uh, I did this little talk because I love the music, and I'm going to end now. I love the music. Uh, If you'll listen to uh, Just Like Eddie and uh, Questions I Can't Answer and Beating of My Heart, you're going to hear what happens when, albeit love gone wrong, a musical genius by compensation, throws in every single arrow of his quiver, just hoping, just hoping that he'll make gold out of dross. And in my opinion, Joe Meek, assisted by Heinz, succeeded. And for that, I am truly grateful. I hope this hasn't been a complete way station for you or a digression, but I'm trying to get to the bottom of why even the most uh, offbeat and unusual phenomena often have, if you look at them just a little bit, have something universal. Because as Cousins once wrote in his journals, if you look at any life, if you look at any human life, a very fine book could be written about it. Thank you so much, and God bless. (laughs) 